Hello strangers and welcome to the latest episode of In Focus. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with co-host Zig Bingham. Zig, very excited to be here today for Star Trek V. Is that the correct, would that be the correct assumption? <laughs> ah. <laughs> That's all I can say. I mean, yeah, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be a bit of a slog. Uh, but honestly, I didn't actually despise it quite as much as I used to. This is probably the first one that I saw as a young adult so when this film came out i was very much younger than i am now and in that you know stroppy teenager phase everything sucks ass you know um but uh yeah the bits i didn't like i quite liked well on on the whole but we'll talk about that when we get to them because they are there are many and varied <laughs> yes there are it's a it's a very strange film i think in places so this is as i mentioned at the top of the show we are now on star trek 5 uh, the final frontier uh this was the first film the first in the series directed by william shatner um who'd obviously seen leonard nimoy shoot some films and decided he wanted a piece, piece of that action himself um this is the one interestingly that was although it, it opened very well is my understanding of its opening weekend in fact the highest gross of any star trek film to date to, to date to the date of its release um it rapidly um dropped off um its box office take uh, due to poor reviews um which we'll get to whether they're entirely justified or not um and also this is the film that the one of the film's producers described as the film that almost killed the franchise so um yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on on this one, Zig. This is probably the one I was looking forward to rewatching the least, but I don't think I hated it as quite as much. I don't think I hated it, um, but it's certainly not without its share of problems. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, shall we begin? Let's. Okay. So, um, the Star Trek: The Final Frontier uh, takes place, um, or opens rather, with a uh, on a desert dusty planet the planet of galactic peace um there's um some weird strange guy that looks like he's a reject from the hills have eyes and he is visited by um what i was sure originally was oliver stone because this guy just looks like lawrence lickenball who plays cyborg um if i could not not see oliver stone throughout this whole <laughs> film which actually made it a little bit more enjoyable so um that's good. Um, yeah, he confronts this man who's just protecting his little patch of earth and um, delves into his mind and releases his pain. And then uh, we cut to um, the boys on... Uh, well, no, we cut to the, the uh, title sequence, actually, uh, which is nice and pleasant to finally have the um, next-gen music back again. There's one very good thing about uh, about this film is the soundtrack was actually really nice. I thought it was better than four, quite frankly. The soundtrack is fantastic. We've got Jerry yeah. Jerry Goldsmith here, isn't it? I think mm. um, who is yeah. The soundtrack to this is I think the highlight of the film for sure. Yeah, it's a great return of the Klingon theme. Um, a whole bunch of other stuff. Even the whimsical stuff is handled with the right tone. It's for my money. If they if they should have got um, Goldsmith back for number four. Um, it would have made a better film but you know we've got what we've got so after the uh, title sequence we are um, witness to a man climbing up um, one of the peaks in Yosemite El Capitan isn't it yeah um, very dramatic very uh, Mission Impossible 2 
Yeah, I thought that. I as thought. soon as I saw this, I thought the, the, the opening of Mission Impossible 2 H this. But I, <laughs> what I did think is the fact that um, Tom Cruise looks like he's more likely to be in physical condition to make this climb than um, Kirk does in the shot. Uh, this this feels to me a oh. bit like the start of Shatner's ego kind of taking <laughs> taking uh, centre stage in this film. But maybe maybe that's unfair. Yeah. But <laughs> Well, there was still the, the feud with him and George Takai. That George Takai didn't actually want to come back for the film because he was just despised William Shatner so much he just didn't want to take a part in it I'm glad he did um, but uh, yeah yeah we'll, we'll get to we'll get to everyone coming back and reprising their roles in a moment so he's climbing a mountain we eventually revealed that it's uh, Kirk climbing the mountain in what can only be described as I know apparently this is a real shot but it, it, it it's this film's really weird the effects are not good <laughs> and the location shots are not great everything looks like a TV movie but um, not one with a lot of money like early TNG sort of sort of thing um, it has that sort of feel I, I didn't think that the cinematography was very inspiring at all um, especially here when you're in cement, when you're when you're going up El Capitan it should be the most beautiful thing in the world to, to look at but it's just everything's really flat and um, we get a little bit of dialogue with um, Spock turns up just hovering it turns out he's got jet boots on and distracts Kirk Kirk falls Spock f zooms down in what is some of the worst green screen superimposition <laughs> stuff ever that makes the first Superman look ropey um, and I'm talking about like the 1940s Superman, not the Christopher Reeve stuff. Stops Kirk from dying, um, smashing his head on a rock. And um, yeah, yeah. So far, very TV. I didn't actually hate it. I quite like the dialogue between him and Spock because they're clearly getting to know each other still. They're still sort of not fully back to, to where, they, where they should be at. And McCoy's looking through his binoculars uh, at Spock, at Kirk and Spock, thinking they're risking life and limb, and it's ridiculous, etc., etc. Um, yeah, uh, and then we cut back to the mysterious planet of peace, where we get the great James Warner, David Warner, who would appear in the next film, playing uh, John Tolbert, who's uh, at Embassy for Earth, along with Cord, uh, which is the Klingon, and they get a visit from Ka uh, I think it's Kathleen Dar as um, the Romulan ambassador um, and you just get a lot of exposition about how this was all three species work or empires came together to build this planet in peace to develop it and basically it just started falling apart within moments no one gives a damn about this place and um, we have Cybok turning up um, takes over the compound after a little bit of a scuffle it's kind of like again, a, a mad max kind of army of rogues so they, they only this kind of felt like a very low budget mad max to me at this point to be honest these bits yeah i mean it's not really traumatic any of this um i think there's a lot of problems with this film i think the story in itself like has it should have stayed on tv it's not a filmic story really uh, or if it was going to be something filming, then you need to do something interesting with it. But I don't feel like they did. They did at all. Uh, and we get Cyborg turning up, um, just telegraphing his lines. Basically, I mean the actor's fine. He's you know good in the role. He's very charismatic. I quite like the idea of a, a, a renegade um, Vulcan who is using his psychic powers um, to explore you know the inner and the outer universe. Um, and he's he's arrived to take these people prisoner because he wants he wants uh, Starfleet to come and um, get involved. It's exactly what he wants. So 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 far, what's your view? Yeah, I do. I, again, it's it's kind of. I think there is some. I'm, I'm kind of with you on the fact that there's not really much drama to these scenes. I think this film is littered with some ideas, with some ideas that have good potential, but I don't think it ever embraces any of them well. Like, really, I, I really like the idea that we're seeing the Klingons, the humans, and the Romulans work together on this on this planet in the middle of the neutral zone. That's a great idea, but it kind of just feels rushed, and they don't do a lot with it here. Um, it's just mm -hmm. like here we are working together. Bang! Here's Cybok done. Um, 
me to advance the film forward. And again, I, you know, I like the idea of a of a joint of a joint. Uh, yeah, look, the yeah, the, the alien cultures working together it is nice, but but just a little bit. It's just a little bit wasted and a little bit rushed here. I think they they seem to be happy to kind of spend sort of the first half an hour mostly on Earth with the Enterprise crew, but don't really establish any story at this point. Um, and this is the point where they could have established some story. But again, I think this the the film's biggest problem to me is loads of it feels rushed. Um, and this is definitely one of those moments, I think. So, yeah, it's interesting idea, but just not well executed, I don't think, here. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I have to say, I didn't actually mind the the earthbound stuff or the relationship sort of drama. There's some very misplaced comedy that's coming up in a minute. Um, but, as you say, back to Earth. Um, we're on board the NCC-1701A, which is the replacement uh, enterprise, which apparently is a sister ship that's been re-tagged. And Scotty's on there swearing and effing and blinding, basically trying to fix stuff. He's very grumpy in this one, I have to say. <laughs> Scotty has had not a lot of sleep through all of this. He's he's not himself. Um, yeah, it's, re it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a... You know, he's struggling trying to get the ship... But, uh, back up and running there's a sort of running theme oh my god it's like mission impossible 3 ghost protocol you know with everything starts breaking down like the, the, the uh, what's that three no it's four it's number four, four, yeah, four mission impossible where one of the running gags is nothing works properly <laughs> this is a running gag hit jj hmm. he has stolen everything from star trek his whole yeah. career <laughs> so uh, uhura turns up it seems that uhura and scotty are having a relationship um and they kind of understand each other's um predilection for work and and not surely and she brings two packets of crisps which looks like two packets of crisps for uh, for a tea break um and then they get a message from starfleet saying oh once again the enterprise is the only ship in the area that can actually deal with this impending doom at earth that's broken down and not working properly only the enterprise again <sighs> and this is in the neutral zone so there's no ships between here and the neutral zone well they, they the don't have any does kind of address this later but yeah yeah but yes it's still it's still a stretch okay yeah yeah Let, let's save that for later um so uhura takes the call um and and they start uh grabbing people back so we go we cut back to earth We've got George Takai and Walter Koenig, Sulu, Chekhov, respectively, um, out in the forest having a good time. I quite like this. Sulu's lost. The navigator's lost. I quite like that. And he doesn't want to admit that he's lost. Um, and Walter Koenig gets... It's a nice it's a nice dynamic between them. You don't often get to see too much of that, that going on, um, which is quite funny. But it is... A bit slapstick, some of the humour, you know, like the way the, the way it's written and it's paid off, um, that he doesn't want to admit or something. Everything's just a bit obvious, like a first draft or first pass. Would you agree? Do you think? That? Yeah, I think so. Considering they managed to lean into comedy with with the va I mean, the vast majority. I mean, the Star Trek Four. There's a lot of focus on comedy, um, as you know, as we talked about on on the last show. Um, and for the most part, it works really well. So it's a shame here. So you know you've got you know you've got the performance there to do it. They're, they're capable of of turning their hands to light comedy, um, and they do it relatively well. But here, I agree, it does feel a bit clumsy and a bit forced. Um, and you know, I, I'm all for spending time with the crew and seeing the crew's relationships develop between them set between them. Um, and I think that's something that you know the films most of the films do do pretty well is actually develop these relationships between the characters but yeah this just feels clumsy and a bit short it's not funny it's just a bit cringe to be honest it's a bit cringeworthy for the for, for every time it happens as you say a bit heavy-handed a little bit on the nose um and just not particularly well written so I'm, I'm with you there overall this does actually feel like a bit of fan fiction that's the sort of impression i got walking away and it's not even a good in a lot of places it's not even good fan fiction you know what i mean it's like you watch some some of these things on youtube and you can forget you can forgive some of the shoddy acting and some of the shoddy writing but this is it should be more, much more polished than this um i don't know i don't know if this was actually constructed this way um but the stuff around the campfire you know i understand it's almost like 
oh my god i keep referring to new, new movies i thought kirk mccoy and spock are around a fire mccoy's um made some beans uh, some teas and they're all discussing you know just being blokes hanging out and it's remarkable how much they get on each other's nerves and yet on their shore leave they all like hanging out and uh, with each other and they and mccoy's ribbing um spock and spock's ribbing mccoy back it's really funny i quite i love the line where mccoy says i think i preferred him before he died yeah <laughs> there's some good lines in it um but again it's 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 very flat and you just think uh it's it, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of problems. A lot of problems. With but this. I think at this uh, point as well, I don't. We don't. I don't think we have. I think this. This is getting on for nearly the thirty-minute mark at this point, and we don't really have. I think my concern is not that this stuff is there; is that there's more of this stuff than there is of establishing the story. Now, the film only runs an hour and forty-five. So, if you're at this point in the sort of thirty-minute mark and you haven't really set out what the film's about, then you know the story's going to struggle. And I think that's my more so than the content of these scenes and maybe the jokes falling flat, which I could have forgiven if there was less of them. The fact that this seems to be the majority of the screen time at this point, I think, is my is my bigger problem with it. Other more so than the fact it just doesn't really land yeah yeah totally totally and i kind of feel from reading a couple of the interviews with shatner what he was trying to do but i just don't think he has the experience as a director to pull it off all, all the naturalness like like um leonard nimoy just seemed to have that natural gift and ability and a way of commanding people's respect um to actually do it i think if this was my film and i hate uh, i do it all the time even though i say i hate doing it but i think it, this is probably the scene we should have opened with, if anything, because they could have just talked about falling off the mountain, blah, blah, blah. We could have had a really nice long scene here, um, being interrupted by um, by Starfleet saying you've got to come up to the ship. And as they come up to the ship, then they can start understanding what's going on. We could have been eased in that way. Um, but instead, you get all this stuff fluff at the minute. That you don't really need. You don't really need. If you want to spend time with them, do it right. And, and for me, this is where the movie should have started. This would have been more interesting. I mean, even from a simple point of view of the shot, I, I, I do like watching bad movies sometimes is when I watch them. I think, how would I do it differently? Even from the opening with the star field, I just thought, well, just you could transition that into the fire, into the sparks coming off the fire and you come down and you, they're all sitting around the fire. There's a lot of things you could have done with this script as it was and they didn't and I think that is down to Shatner being inexperienced I did the script was rewritten a lot when um for Star Trek 3 a lesser extent to Star Trek 4 but Nimoy just has that ability to to think on his feet and to change it and make it sound natural so I think that's uh, uh that's good and it's odd pacing as well they're sitting around the fire Uhura's supposed to come down and bring down the captain etc etc she, she takes a long time to get there she does they she takes a, a long time to arrive <laughs> they sit around they try and sing a song um they cook some marsh marshmallows now i'm not an american but i'm pretty sure they're supposed to be called marshmallows now is it marshmallows or marshmallows or is this another one of those star trek things where they get phrasing wrong because they're 300 years in the future is it one of those sort of like nerdy trekky gags? I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. I'd like to think it was a gag that just went a bit south, um, but it doesn't land. <laughs> <There's> no... <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. But I do like seeing all three interacting and hanging out together. Right? It's great. And they go and have a snooze, and then we get a, um, we cut to um, Captain Claw, who's this heavy metal young boisterous Klingon who's shooting space junk. Um, his first officer uh, built like a female bodybuilder. She's really impressive. I don't like the set looks good. The acting's fine. They just don't get much to do, and they don't feel they're comedy Klingons in this. Yeah, they're not threatening at all, which is a real shame. He, sh especially with this young guy, I kind of feel like he should be, from what's in the script, that he's actually um, looking for a fight to make his name. So he should be young and impetuous, and but nothing of the the the, the frightening performance that we got from um, Krug in um, Star Trek Three. Um, they, yeah, they discover there's a problem. 
on the um, planet of peace and they decide where they're going to go down and uh, interfere. Um, they just jump to the conclusion, is it here though they jump to the conclusion that Kirk's going to just automatically be there? They get, uh, no, I think it's a bit later on they get, they because Starfleet dispatch, so Starfleet recall Kirk um, and then they get an, they into the, um, they get a message or pick up the message, um, intercept a message that um, Starfleet have dispatched the Enterprise. So I think they're going. I think they're going to go anyway. But when they realise that Starfleet has dispatched the Enterprise, he sees an opportunity because obviously, due to the events of the previous three films, there's no love lost between Kirk and the Klingons, and vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. So he kind of sees an opportunity to prove himself here a little bit. I think. Yeah, he's an interesting character. It could have been an interesting character, especially from what we learn from the Klingons later on. Um, the crew are recalled by Ahura, who wake them up. I mean, they've been sleeping for a while and they get waking up. This is how long it takes them to actually get Kirk. They fly back into the hangar. Now, this next scene is a good example of where I think is an example of where things go awry, where he had a good idea but didn't follow through it or fight in his corner. Now, Shatner states that when he gets off the, the shuttle, when they're back at the Enterprise, this was all one tracking shot into the turbo lift. The camera stays behind them. We go, they're chatting. It goes all the way up to the bridge and then they were supposed to walk off in one take and it was filmed that way. But the studio insisted in putting a cut just before they get onto the bridge and we get this cut and the door doesn't open properly and they walk onto the bridge. Totally ruined the whole thing. But it feels like that would have been an interesting shot. And there's a lot of that in the movie which just doesn't quite get there for my, my money. Um, they have a briefing on the bridge which is just still under repair uh, they are ex hand wavingly explained that whilst they're not the only ship in the sector they are the only ship with an experienced captain which makes me think does not Star Trek have any <laughs> hostage any negotiators captains, yeah. <laughs> do they not have people trained in this I'm sure there's like a whole team you could send out I know you've got Makos well we find that out later so you've actually got a salt team um yeah yeah and uh that's half bennett did you know that half bennett starfleet chief of staff that's oh, making okay that, nice um, oh that's that's quite yeah. a nice touch but i think th a, yeah. this is one of the moments though that just just before they get the hand wave a moment of why it has to be the enterprise again this is one of the moments and just to talk briefly just to drift onto a thing that i think this star trek gets right and the recent star trek discovery gets completely wrong because you can have the characters having emotional personal relationships but when it needs to they start to feel like a crew again and as soon as they hit the bridge it's obvious Kirk's in charge again which I really like um, and that's mm. that's probably a wide that's a wider thing with this Star Trek compared to Discovery but there's there's a personal relationship there but they know they're a crew they're a, they're an out they're a military organization the quasi military organization once they're on mission they will snap back into their roles there's no kind of emo, not that emotion goes completely out of the window because obviously they've still got those personal relationships but there's I like just like those moments when they snap from personal relationships to back on the job um, which you know feels very much like it would do, I imagine it would do in these situations so I think that worked well. But yeah, the kind of hand wave in, it must be the Enterprise again. Oh, we need Kirk for this. Why? You've got no one else. It's almost so it sometimes feels like the Federation only has one ship in these films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've just watched um uh Orville recently again, season two again, and it was just like, oh oh yeah, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. It's, it's very nice. I do like his little comment about his chair. You know, he misses his old chair and that sort of thing. Scott, he's walking around um, uh, engineering like a bear with sore heads. I don't... The only thing I can think in this whole film is that he's not had much sleep and there must have been something in the script that just said he's been up for three days straight and that's why he's an idiot in this film. Yeah. That would make sense because he does some really stupid things for the sake of comedy that's not even funny. We will get to that. Um, yeah. And Leonard Nimoy looks like he's not even making an effort to help at all, does he? Like. <laughs> There's, 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 there's like a look that he gives uh, Kirk when he's, yeah, when Kirk sits in the chair and sort of wobbles it about and it's not quite loose and it's making squeaky noises and he says, oh, I miss my old chair. Spock gives him such a look like, big baby sort of look. It's just, 
yeah <laughs> does it um, i don't know it's yeah it's it's not good this is not good anyway so um we eventually leave uh there's a little bit with the klingons which is totally unnecessary really they get to watch the hostage video and this is where things start to fall apart really for me so not not far into the movie uh cyborg transmits a hostage video to um to the federation saying they want a, a starship to come down and negotiate etc etc and if they don't they will harm harm people he doesn't want to do it blah 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 spock looks and and makes the announcement looks like someone i knew from my past but leaves it leaves it at that maybe this time at this time it's fine <sighs> i don't yeah but the next scene where they go and speak to spock spock is not very forthcoming about who he thinks it might be and it doesn't make any sense to me at all that that spock would be hiding or holding things back other than just for script purposes makes no sense to me i mean no, I, I agree. It just it seems, seems bizarre. So there's, as you said, there's an existing relationship. Spock immediately, they can tell that Spock immediately recognises the guy, or Cyborg in this case. Um, and yeah, it just doesn't, it's not a logical decision. Um, it wouldn't make sense from an emotional perspective. So neither, it makes no sense from either the Vulcan or human side of Spock to have made this decision to set, to not bring it up at this point that, you know, he is, uh, well, he's his half-brother. We can re we'll reveal that at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it just doesn't make any sense from the character's perspective that he just wouldn't wouldn't mention anything here because that could be quite useful. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I also feel like everyone looks really old in this. Like, the last film should have definitely been the last film, I think. Um, or it's the lighting or the makeup. The costume work in this is appalling. None of the costumes seem to actually fit people properly, especially when we get to these beautiful brown costumes that come up later on. Um, just everyone looks fat, out, out, out of shape. They don't want to be there. They're huffing and puffing their way around. Shatner's putting in a, a good performance, but it's unrestrained Shatner because it's just he's clearly just driven by himself. And this is very much the Bill Shatner show. Um, I, I tell you what, it felt like it felt a little bit like Ali McBeal that sort of. <laughs> it's quasi serious like it's a weird sense of humor it's yeah like someone trying to do a buffy kind of humor but not really understanding buffy very strange uh situation um they get to the planet pretty quick really there's there's no ifs and buts about this they, they get there quick and for some reason and they have to land miles away from the compound to avoid detection because they're um, transporters are not working um, and luckily they come across a group of um, nomads with some horses oh do you want to talk about this I don't think I can talk about I this. do kind of want to bring this up because then there is a, a <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it either but we're here we're doing it <laughs> we're doing it we've committed to talking about this film you can't really not talk about this scene um, so they come across these these nomads or kind of scouting party for for Cybok's group of terrorists, for want of a better description, or kidnappers or followers, should we say, rather than terrorists. <laughs> terrorists is probably a bit strong. Um, yeah, but they come across a group of Cybok's followers um, and decide that to get there in under an hour. At this point, the Klingon ship is the Klingon ship is imminent, and they're worried that they might have to fight the Klingon ship. So they're trying to get the hostages back in advance of the Klingon ship arriving. Uh, Chekhov is kind of helping Kirk with a ruse to convince the cyborg that he's captain whilst Kirk and Spock uh, can sneak so they can sneak in so the rest of the crew can essentially sneak into Cybot's compound and, and release the hostages so yeah they come across this, this scouting party of his followers um, who have some horses uh, and they decide that to steal the horses they need a distraction and what happens next is, I mean, it's probably the <laughs> lowest point for the entirety for the entire Star Trek series, and that includes probably all films and television. I think um, <laughs> is they decide to get Uhura to do a weird dance with some fronds of trees that she's found somewhere on this barren desert rock, um, <laughs> and distract these people with what can best be described as a sexy dance. Um, it's yeah. very bizarre. It feels incredibly Shatner this bit, to be honest, that he's put this in, um, and it does not hit a good tone for anyone. No one. The film does not come out of this looking good. No one comes out of this looking good. It's just a bit creepy and very strange. 
yeah. I mean, hats off to old lady. She's still got it, I think. But it's just, why? Why? I mean, it's about the only bit of the film that's beautifully shot, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, there is that, yeah. <laughs> the two planets and her dancing with the palm frond leaves whatever uh looked very sci-fi looked really 60s star trek actually but it makes no sense whatsoever like and just to deliver a line i wanted to i've always wanted to play to a captive audience you're like oh my god is that the only joke you could come up with so they got the horses yeah (laughs) let's move Uh, on I don't know. Wasn't Michelle Nichols really wanting to do it? Like, I, I don't even. I, I, I can't even think. I don't know. It it doesn't fit the tone. It's not. It's not funny. It's not sexy. It's just weird. <laughs> it's just a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, they get the horses. They get the horses. They enter the compound because um, Hills Have No Eyes has um, doesn't recognise his own blokes. Uh, until they're in the compound and it goes oh shit <laughs> and takes Spock for for eons to actually um, locate the prisoners as it does for Sulu to um, shoot the gigantic missile launcher that's aimed at his head until he, it's fired blows him off his horse uh, rolls on the floor and then decides to use his uh, phaser to shoot the guy on the uh, on that it's just a lot of just nonsense i mean let's and let's cut to the chase let's cut to the chase here these action scenes are crap oh my <laughs> like, god like, they're like 60s action scenes they like, are they like i this... thought you were going to do karate chop to the neck and you've got the weird because <laughs> you've got the weird uh, so you've got the in this attack you've got the weird um cat lady with three boobs which is bizarre which seems to be a complete rip-off of total recall which is just again a bit creepy um yeah. terrible physical effects here and this all takes place in some kind of like subpar Mos Eisley cantina that feels like they've just ripped it straight out of Star Wars um, and it's but it's just clumsily badly shot action scenes that just look cheap there's no there's no impact to the physical fighting it's just it just looks bad at this point and it just I, I just don't get I just don't get it like as you say it, you know is it is it Shatner's lack of experience is it Shatner just going oh this is fine and they've moved on have they shot this in a rush I don't know because there's a lot of stuff these whole scenes for me, they should never have got past Russia. It's like they should have looked and gone, right, we need to take that again. It's not It's not good yeah. enough. Um, and this whole set piece is, is a prime example of that. I mean, you've got that rocket launcher that blows Sulu off his horse, but the rocket doesn't explode. It just hits the ground, and then <laughs> Sulu appears to fall off his horse. It's just, I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I just don't get what's happened here. Yeah. <laughs> this is when we get to look at the nice new uh, Star Trek uniforms, which are these horrible brown things that make everyone look like someone's granddad with the patches on the shoulders uh ill-fitting like everyone's wearing everyone else's costume <laughs> but kirk's got to have the gray one and everyone else has to have the beige ones oh it's terrible i won't see, we won't see so much beige until um next generation um but uh, luckily the costume in, as beige is is not as bad as this and cybox costume can we just talk about cybox <laughs> just where has he been the burning man he's just come back from burning man but he's got snow boots on he looked like he's got yeti feet on as well which just it was bizarre <laughs> but we do yeah. we do get at least at least we get some we kind of so it, during this attack they um they think they found the hostages they go they go you need to come with us we do get a bit of forward motion on the plot here at least so when they find the hostages they realize that actually cyborg has brainwashed them into whatever his scheme is as well and then they kind of and then the kind of the tables turn on the enterprise crew um as they essentially get captured against their will and cyborg returns with the crew to the enterprise yeah and really good moment for spock to go oh this is my definitely my brother this is yeah yeah (laughs) captain this is my brother meet my brother my half brother but uh, no, it never comes up because <laughs> it's got it's got to be a dramatic moment in the movie. Um, yeah, as you say, they end up um, well, they almost get to the Enterprise, and then uh, Captain Kla turns up and decides he's going to uh, shoot uh, Shatner because he hears the communications, which is not encoded between 
uh, ships, which you'd think military vehicles would be, never mind, he decides he's going to shoot down this little shuttle. And yeah, they just go fast through the bay doors, manually flying the shuttle like they've never done it before. Like Sulu's, like they say Sulu's a great pilot, but he's never flown a shuttle manually into the shuttle bay doors. Yeah, it's, again, it's, this yeah. kind of bit makes no sense. It's almost like they're trying to add add tension to what they know is going to be a pretty shit set piece. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like any maneuvering or dodging. It's just like, oh, yeah, we just go there and we go there. And again, it's just terrible. It looks like it was done in After Effects, but obviously... It wasn't because they didn't have After Effects. If they did, maybe they would have done a better job. But this is well. This this is probably a point to note. This is um, this is a film that ILM didn't work. So ILM, the effects house ILM were wanted for the special effects, I think, but their crews were too busy and too expensive apparently at the time. So they used a different company. And my word, does that show here on some of these practical <laughs> effects throughout this film? Um, yeah. You know, considering how good the previous films have looked, it's just it's just I don't know. I just don't know what that anyone was thinking with this, like just what, why they have I just I don't know whether they just thought they could coast by because at this point the Star Trek name would make the money regardless I don't know it just feels all of this film just feels lazy in parts and it's such a shame it really is um, because it, you know I'll go back to the fact that I, I don't dislike the premise of this film in terms of where it goes which is, is revealed shortly but it just feels as you say it feels TV it feels lackluster it feels slapdash it feels kind of thrown together at the last minute um, it just doesn't have that that sense of scale or really Star Trek motion picture feel to it at all, to be honest. No, and it's not asking any of the big questions. We still don't know what Cyborg really wants. We're going to discover that shortly. But uh, Spock seems to know what Cyborg wants all along. But again, he if he hasn't got to the brother thing, he's not going to get to the Spock to the um, what does Cyborg actually want thing. You know, not like briefing his commanding officer or anything. And uh, this is the great moment where Cybok and Spock confront each other. There's a little scuffle between uh, Cybok and Kirk getting off the shuttle once they've crashed through the doors, or uh, into the bay, rather. And um, there's a little scuffle with them getting off. They struggle over the weapon. Uh, this is just terrible. Shatner holding on to the, the, the weapon while Cybok, using his Vulcan strength, is throwing him from wall to wall. And it's just clear that Shatner looks like he's on a couple of wires. It's just awful, awful. Anyway, in the scuffle, the weapon gets dropped. Spock picks it up, points it at Cybok, and Cybok goes, well, you're gonna, I'm not going to stop. You're going to have to shoot me. And Spock refuses to shoot him, uh, to which Kirk loses his shit at Spock and packs of sad as Spock, McCoy, and um, Kirk are... I don't know why those two are, uh, are separated like this. Are, are separated to their own quarters or to their own devices or whatever. To or to the uh, brig, sorry. Um, while Cybok decides that the two lesser crew members, no offence to Sulu and Uhura. And why is Uhura on the shuttle? That makes no sense either. Like the the tactical decisions, other than we just need the characters to be on these. Um, in these places it makes no sense at all like is 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 Uhura tactical i don't remember seeing her going down with any of the the parties um in the 60s or previous movies crazy anyway they're thrown in the brig which is escape proof um because it's been tested by spock which i caught thought was uh, sort of amusing their capture has been overseen by scotty who's um hiding at this point he's going to make an appearance later on and this is where spock actually says i couldn't i i i couldn't shoot him because he's my brother and what should be a tender emotional response is kind of played for laughs it's it's awful spock's i know kirk's kirk's response to, to spock's reveal this is my brother he's like well no it's not you just made that up and it's just it's awful. The scene is just awful. Yeah, it's just um, it's just bizarre. I think, and then we do get we get a bit of background about Cybok here. But again, like you, you, as you said, it makes no sense for him not to reveal this sooner. We get a, a bit of background about Cybok, and I quite again, this is this is one of the things I quite like. Like he's 
he's a Vulcan, but actually he chases after emotion. He's like a Vulcan extremist or revolutionary that looks to focus on emotion as opposed to logic. Really nice idea. Really nice idea for a Vulcan going against the grain. So kind of, and you know, it would be, again, like, there's so much more they could have done with the interplay between um, Spock and Cybok here if, if you know, if they'd let on that they knew for sure because like it, there should have been a bigger conflict in Spock between the two. There isn't really um, at all. There's kind of, there is a, a, probably a moment a bit later on but I completely agree. Like the moment, the, the kind of the big dramatic reveal that A, Spock's got a brother, B, it's Cybok should have been, should have been like a bomb, bomb, bomb. <laughs> like a, a big moment here and it's just not. It's just kind of, Sort of just a line they just they throw it out and then oh what? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it so is. And also the other thing that bothers me, like they, Cybok starts getting into the minds of people. I mean, again, this could have been something that could have been explored, whether it's consensual or not. Um, apparently, he has like some kind of Jedi Force projection, which we'll see later on. It's not just internalized, um, but everyone. Once they've had the quote unquote their pain removed, what Cybok does is is cause people to confront whatever it is deep seated pain within them and release them from that pain. And by being released from that pain, suddenly they become worshippers of Cybok and decide that they don't want to go and you know do follow anyone else, um, despite years of loyalty to Kirk and yeah, everyone again, else. Makes absolutely no sense. No, no, and and you would think like in the future especially in the Star Trek future, they've probably got good counsellors. Like a lot of this pain stuff's probably already been dealt with anyway by the star sh Starship, um, by Starfleet um, psychologists, so, uh, psychotherapy. Anyway, <clears throat> we cut back to more banter, amusing banter, uh, <laughs> uh, in the... Um, Oh, no, 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 Cybok gives a speech and tells the crew, who he hasn't mind-melded with, I don't assume, unless maybe he can do it over the, the intercom. Yeah, again, not rushed, not really explained. <laughs> no, he just, like, the whole crew goes, oh, okay, now he's the new captain now. Like, there's not, like... Where's the security team as well? No one else on the ship is, is, is thinking, well, I'm going to break the captain out, or anything like that. There's none of that in, in this at all. It's... Ugh. I know they're supposed to have a small skeleton crew and everything, but there are other people because they show it. They show it. Um, anyway, back to more banter. Oh, God. In the brig. And there's a bit of Morse code getting taps through the wall. Um, and they spell it out. Stand back. And the wall explodes. And Scotty's there shouting at them, telling him to get a move on. It's a, it's a jailbreak. Um to which they, they thank him very much and they're walking through one of the Jeffrey's tubes or one, one of those little corridors are and Scotty says, ah, it's nothing, I know this place like the back of my hand and then walks straight into a pile and knocks himself out. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a five-year-old's joke. It's like, what the fuck? It's like one of those jokes your dad tells you. That he's like, like, oh, I know this place like the back of my hand. Wait a minute! There's a mole on it. What am I gonna do? It's awful. It's, it's that um, painful, to be honest. It just and again, it doesn't fit the character. You know, I think it, it harks back to what we were saying about kind of Star Trek Four, where it's nice to see Scotty has something to do rather than just kind of bumble about like he does in this. Um, and he is kind of, I, I don't, yeah, just it's a shame here because he's he's definitely wasted in this film. There's there's no doubt in that, and it's just made a bit made to look a bit like a bumbling klutz for quite a lot of it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's very strange. Um, we're sort of about halfway through the movie now, so maybe now it's like a good good time to have a little break and uh, that we can, um, you know, wash our faces and clear the dirt away and <laughs> come back to it. <laughs> try and get rid of some of this shame. <laughs> yes, we'll be back after this to uh, turn. We'll, we'll 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 try and boost our enthusiasm for the rest of the film uh, when we're back after this brief break. <laughs> So yeah, just before the break, we kind of we we, we paused on a break uh, where Scotty bangs his head um, <laughs> and, and knocks himself out. That is really a testament to how little Ford Frost this film has, um, because by this point in the film, 
we're way over the halfway mark here, I think. Um, and, you know, for an hour and 45 minute film, to Cybok, for the film not to have kind of revealed its hand um, in terms of what's going on, Cybok hasn't revealed, the, the villain, or is he, of the piece, hasn't revealed his plan at this point. So it may seem like a, a strange point to, uh, to, you know, to, to, to have a break on as to where we broke, but it is testament to just how little forward thrust the film actually has. Um, you know, it, it really doesn't. It just kind of drifts around for a bit and... And again, you know, a heart back to trying, trying to find some... Po- we, we talked briefly in the break about trying to find some positivity. I think the premise that is finally revealed here is a good premise. And it's just the ideas here, I think, are half decent, but they're just not well explored. I completely agree. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that, that's just how I feel about the whole film. Like, literally, it's just like, for me, an XL... Of, of of breath maybe I've held on to a little bit too long and uh, I don't know like I haven't re-watched this film much I was thinking about how many times I've watched the other Star Trek films as well and this is this is just definitely one of those films that if it's on I will switch over I will turn away from there is no way I will sit through this and I will sit through some of the most boring Star Trek known to man but this is too much even for me too much yeah, I do. It, I think that's fair. I mean, I just, to say that it's not that I hated it. It just doesn't do anything. But Cybox plan. Let's let's reveal what side. Let's reveal what Cybox plan is here to give us something to talk about other than comedy hijinks. <laughs> okay, so uh, Cybox has received. Has he has, at this point has he actually revealed that? No, no, that's safe for later. That he's actually received a message from God, but he he knows the he knows the location of Eden. Or Shakari, as the um, as the Vulcans call it. There is a lot. What's it, Romulans? See, I'm not even really paying attention. <laughs> there's a number of Shakari. There's, there's there's a Klingon name for it. There's an Andorian name for it. They're all unpronounceable. But Eden, essentially yeah. the center of the universe. But no one's been able to explore the center of the universe because there is a great barrier in the way. Um, but he he claims to have received a calling from the center of the universe. Um, and he it, it appears that he believes yeah. this is God. This is the birth of all creation. Which again, great idea for Star Trek. It's a great idea for a Star Trek film. It's very Star Trek. Like you have essentially. They're trying to find an entity that is that is omnipotent, and I, I love that idea. But why have we taken so long that to, to get there to the reveal that this is the story? It, we, you know, would be my first yeah. criticism of this. Um, but at least we have a story here, I guess. At least we have some forward thrust. Yeah, which is uh, forward thrust is is sort of more than we really get from our three escapees who, when we left them, who just walked. Uh, they were heading for a turbo lift shaft that would take them to a place where they could actually communicate from. They're, I guess they're equivalent to 10 forward. Um, uh, and it's a very long way up. They've got a lot of cl- ladder climbing. So McCoy and uh, Kirk start heading up the ladder. Spock takes one look and rather than go, hang on, I've got an idea, again, silently just disappears like he's off. And it takes them a long while to realize that uh, their mate's gone missing. Like, no one thought to check. Like, where's Spock off to? Like, no one saw it. No one... Yeah, anyway. And um, as the uh, the bad guys uh, catch up to them, uh, Spock turns up with his jet boots. And there's a hilarious moment where two men have to climb <laughs> on Spock's jet boots and they're a little bit too overweight. So they end up falling down to the bottom of the to the turbo lift shaft where they have to put the accelerator on but it's it's going to be too uncontrollable but Spock controls it at the top in what has to be the most muppet show sequence in any Star Trek film I think it looks like they're muppets like the way it's shot from just the waist up the special effects of them flying the fact that they're holding on to Spock like round his shoulders and they've got one foot on his jet boots and another foot hanging off but it's done so unconvincingly you can literally see the wires coming out of their shoulders supporting them it's just it, they look like little animated cartoon cutouts from um, yeah they are less well animated than the cartoons from South Park South Park would do a better job of this. <laughs> this is just 
it's uh yeah it's ridiculous it's ridiculous and they managed to escape anyway don't they like after hilarity ensues and again this oh there's another mission impossible thing actually they nearly hit the top don't they like they fly to the top nearly they get do, crushed yeah. um and they end up going to 10 forward where cybok apparently lets them send the message for whatever reason and then just turns up and they sort of just give in to him don't they i don't know what really happens yeah, here they, kind of have like, a they could have overpowered him it kind of reveals that yeah they don't seem to they don't seem to do anything here that he kind of reveals his plan to them um helps them through a bit of pain doesn't he which is what he does which he kind of so he tries to convince bones and spock to join his cause um kirk resists because he's kirk i guess uh, bones and spot bones almost leaves with cybok and then they kind of immediately just go no we're no we'll stay with we'll stay with kirk thanks very much but there's no real attempt to overpower him there's no real attempt to to take the ship back at this point and then they kind of they just so cybok goes back to the bridge um and then kirk spock and and bones just kind of accept that the ships go into the center of the universe now and as you say weirdly don't really do anything about it or don't seem overly fussed um, and I mean, I quite like the, the grey area of is Cybok a good or a bad guy, but I just don't buy that, you know, that they wouldn't have tried to do something more here to take back control of the Enterprise, to be honest. Um, and in the meantime, the um, the Klingons have intercepted the distress signal that Kirk sends, so they kind of pursue, they know where the Enterprise is going and kind of launch a pursuit. Um, but yeah, it's again, just bizarre narrative choice um, for the crew just to seemingly suddenly go along with, with Cybok. It's also weird in the scene with Spock um kirk and mccoy when they're all experiencing each other's pain apart from kirk obviously who, who needs his pain he needs his pain everyone can see the other person's pains revealed and i just again it was like this would have been looked so much better if we saw it from the other people's point of view and just saw them acting it out and then yeah. we cut to what to McCoy's actually experiencing. That just a simple thing like that would have made that scene a whole lot better. But the fact that McCoy, stubborn as he is, just sort of gives up and goes, "Oh, okay." I'm actually in all of this. McCoy is a bit sort of he's a bit wishy-washy in this. He's not the usual great McCoy that we that we see in all of these films um, later on, and particularly just again just to say lines in the movie rather than to actually have anything going. And his performance. His his pain is his father's pain in that, in that um, his father was on his deathbed. He was asking for release, and he McCoy struggled with it. I like the fact that they kept him as McCoy is now, looking at his old father as he was then. Mm. I thought that was actually a nice touch. The lighting's pretty good on this as well, and um, it's a nice little scene. And it turns out that McCoy's pain is that a couple of months later they found a cure for his dad, but it was too late because he killed his dad. So. Um, he's been carrying that one bit of pain with him the whole time and that's just it so and that causes him to flip sides from his lifelong friends to cyborg to this stranger again it doesn't yeah briefly yeah. Uh, although briefly until spock decides that he's going to stay because he he thinks that because then we see a, a scene of spock's childbirth and kind of about the fact that his father Sarek says that he's very human um you, it looks like Spock's going to join his half-brother here and then doesn't decides he's going to stay with Kurt which is a nice moment I think and makes certainly makes more sense as a character choice than a lot of decisions they've made and at this point Bones kind of has a sideways look almost leaves and joins Cybok's cause uh but then doesn't and decides to stay with with Kirk and Spock but again I don't really know what weight this has with them deciding to stay with Kirk and Spock because they don't seem to do want to do anything about Cybok yeah. anyway at this point. So it seems that it seems like it would have been much more interesting to see. Seem, as you said, the the struggle that Spock has with Cybok, and maybe Cybok's the first one that planted the seed for Spock to accept his human side. Maybe Cybok's the one that got him to find the duality of his own existence and and it feels a yeah. certain loyalty or feels like he's pushed him out or you know some kind of responsibility i mean the cartoon does a better job of this actually <laughs> um <laughs> when they revisit spock's um childhood um and his relationship with his father particularly with, with his father i mean the, the cartoon series does a better job with this than 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 this does um yeah, it's it's um, we're probably putting more drama into it than it's actually into in the actual film itself. 
I think I think we probably are to be fair. And then, so from so from this point, we jump forward. Cybox in control of the ship. They set a course for the center of the universe um, and the Great Barrier. That they then, unless I'm missing something here, I don't think I am. This is the point where the kind of they kind of I think the the filmmakers realize and and um, and Shatner realizes, oh shit, we need to finish this story at some point. So this is where the film kind of feels like it hits warp ten in terms of trying to get the story wrapped up here. Um, and they kind of, they arrive at the Great Barrier. There's some concern that you can't pass through the Great Barrier. They pass through the Great Barrier without too much struggle. Um, yeah. And then Cybot just gives the gives the ship back to Kirk, which uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it, I mean it was nice to see some analog sixty-esque sort of effects, but I just thought there's no drama to it. Like it's supposed to be difficult to get through, but it seemed really easy. It's not even like he says, "I've got a, like." Just having Cybox say, now you need to turn left, right, 60 degrees up. Well, you know, whatever it was, he, he actually had a map to get through that was given to him by this entity or whatever. Like, there was, there was some kind of weight to it. Like, we can get through here. Trust me, we can get through here. No, we're not going to go through. Trust me. And they go through. And then as they're going through, Kirk is like, well, this guy knows what he's actually doing and becomes curious in that respect. And when they're on the other side, maybe Kirk goes, okay, right, let me have the ship back. We're here now. Or maybe partway through says, look, we're halfway through. We can't turn back. Let me have control of my ship. You know, there's no drama and tension in the barrier whatsoever. No. As you say, they get through it really easily. And, and, you know, spoilers, the Klingons get through really easy. So there was no special path that Cybok was taking. You just fly through it. Yeah. Has no one sent a probe through just to have a look? And they make a point of... Because they make a point earlier in the film as well, where they talk about the fact they've sent probes through, no ships have come back, no probes have returned. So you think, okay, the Great Barrier, this is going to be a big, a big set piece, a big thing that happens here, and a, a bit of drama in the film. But they don't. They just they literally fly through. Kirk gets control of the ship again, and then it's like, right, we'll, we'll set in orbit. We'll send an away team, and so Kirk decides to bring side at this point Kirk and Cyborg are, they're fine they're just working together now because he, because Kirk is I guess fascinated by the idea that they may have found yeah. God so I kind or certainly the the, cent, the center of all creation so I kind of buy that I guess that Kirk's Kirk's kind of interest is peaked here so they go down to this they go they send an away team of Kirk Spock Cyborg yeah. I think are the three people that go down to the go down yeah. to the surface um and very quickly when they arrive on the surface um some weird shit starts happening some kind of stones biblical type stones um come out of the ground and then the entity uh, that is supposed to well that is god essentially the face of god appears to them um this is bad let's be frank here the, the kind of face of god appears to them that is um basically looks like a biblical god uh, but it, it's it's such a bad special <laughs> effect it looks cheap it, lo it just looks yeah. awful this scene um it, it sort of spouses spouses a lot of things to make cybox kind of like here, here we are we're in front of god what do you need god it, and this is so rushed this scene this whole scene is done over so quickly uh, we're at the fin kind of at the finale of the film at this point and this just feels just it's just so rushed like cybox talks to god what do you need and the god says he needs a starship Kirk immediately spells yeah. a rat and he's just like prove to me that you're God uh, I mean what do you think of this scene like again so much potential here for an awesome scene an awesome big really big Star Trek feeling scene a very big cinematic scene A rushed and B I mean what did you think Zig am no, I being yeah, too harsh not on at the, all. The, the, like we've just gone from or? Kirk and McCoy and Spock trying to take over the Enterprise to now working with Cybok for some reason they've got through the barrier really easy I mean we should have time-wise we should just be coming out of the barrier i mean if there was like a big space squid monster or some kind of invisible hand monster or, or something like in the cloud that or some danger that was in there that prevented them going through the cloud i mean or looked as good as the cloud i mean this reminded me a lot of the first star trek film but done really badly um, with them going through the cloud and they're showing the, you know, everyone standing around watching the beautiful cloud and then the planet, which is just, looks like Utah with a pink filter put over it. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it was just, the, you know, one of the Californian deserts. And as you say, they get to these stone circles that magically rise out of the ground and the many faces of God appears. <sighs> looks like a crappy 90s music video. Um, 
yeah, oh my god yeah it's so rushed like there's not even much of a conversation and it is basically like the Vija scene but done worse um, and yeah. there is no there's no lead up there's no like discussing things with Cybok I, like I can release your pain and anything like he just straight give me the spaceship in such an obvious deliberate way if he's been trapped there for so long and he's supposed to be so smart this alien thing you would think he'd be a bit more subtle about things He'd have, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, just the speed of which this all happens, and then Kurt starts questioning it. Kurt smells a rat, and is like, "It's not really God, what?" what? <laughs> um, and then he starts, and then what? This alien creature that's never explained as to what he actually is attacks Kirk. Um, Cybot realizes he's made a mistake um, and sacrifices himself so the crew can get away. But this all happens in about three to five yeah. minutes. Like it, it really, it isn't any longer than that. Like this, this is supposed to be the big finale of the film, and it's just. Boom, there it is. There's the face of God. Oh, it's not God. Great. Again, great premise. You go and see this omnipotent being that isn't God. There could be a whole conversation here where he tries to trick them or there's conversations that take place. This could be a good 15, 20 minutes yeah. of peak Star Trek here with the crew kind of confronting God like or, or realising that this, this isn't God. It could have been great, but it's just, bang, it's done. They beam, they beam some of the crew back up. Kirk's, left on the, Kirk's stuck down on the planet still. And then some Klingons have a conversation about it. Like the Klingon, the captain that really wants to hunt Kirk, is then talked to mm. by his senior officer, who was on, who was one of the people they've rescued from the planet, is convinced to save Kirk. The Klingons drop in to save the day. Shoot this godlike alien once it disappears, and then yeah. it seems to have gone. I don't. I, it's crazy as well. There's a lot, again, there's a lot of potential here to sort of make echoes with the original. You, you've got two wasteland type of planets who are very sim, seem very similar. They're, they're they're both you know one's called Paradise. There's clearly supposed to be some kind of connection between the two, and this is supposed to be Eden. And they both are deceptive. They don't deliver on their promises. There's no struggle to get to Eden as well, as we said, like with a barrier. But even when you get to the planet, I mean, I always, I still think this, when they get to the planet, they should be battling other creatures to get to see God. And then it slowly yeah. starts dawning on Kirk that maybe this is actually a prison planet of some creatures they don't understand and this guy is actually a prisoner here and they could explore that or that would come out later but then there needs some something to happen between the barrier and meeting god as you say and there needs to be more more going on with with the god conversation so when by the time they do escape it's just like oh it's just like another day day in the life of Spurk, uh, Spock and Kirk and it's nothing dramatic Oh, we meet godlike creatures every day it's nothing actually this is not what this movie's about it's uh, shall we get back to the singing basically um, oh, it is disappointing in so many different ways I mean even the Klingon that's been half built up to be uh, mean and and looking to make a name for himself and really wants to get Kirk killed is kowtowed really quickly and easily by his so-called superior who, let's not forget, is a Klingon disgraced and sent to a prison planet because the Klingon High Council don't want anything to do with them anymore or they sent him to um, the Eden planet to, uh, Paradise, to keep yeah. him out of the way um, so you would have no respect it's... Um, it's just odd, as you say. Like it's just suddenly we just need to rush and get to the ending. It makes no sense. None of this makes any sense at the end of this at all. No, it just and then Cybok. So yeah, Cybok essentially is lost to is lost to God. They escape, and so the king will save the day. And then, and then we just kind of then it just cuts to what I think is quite a nice closing scene of kind of the Romulans, the Klingons, and the humans working together. I quite like, and they're all sort of standing together, and I, I like that message yeah. of the film. And then it literally ends. And then you have Star Trek V, Final <laughs> Frontier. It's just... Like, well, uh, we get a really a weird bookend. Strange film. We? Like, that's where the movie should end. But then we go back to the camping. And they're all sitting around the fire singing. And then it ends. Yes. And it's just like... That, it's almost like that should be the post... Like, today that would be a post-credit or a mid-credit sequence. That would make more sense to have it there. Yeah. Uh, may, maybe it was initially, but it's just weird how they just cut from that and go straight to the fire. And there's, well, wasn't that difficult? Oh, we always meet gods, don't we? Oh, just another day at the office. They don't even play up that kind of angle of it. They're just like, okay, let's just 
let's do the singing scene that we were going to put in in the beginning of the movie. And it's and it's the end. <laughs> is it? Is it the worst? Is it the worst Star Trek film? It's got to be close to it, isn't it? It's got to be close. I think it. I think it must be. It's certainly. It's certainly yeah. the weakest of the original crew, without a doubt. Um, there's, there's no doubt in that. I'd say it's even probably weaker than something like. Um, is it Insurrection. I, yeah, I've. No, I've yeah, I think I've watched Inter. I've, I'm sure I've watched Insurrection more than I've watched this. Um, and that's not as bad. I'm sure that is not as bad as this. Um, I have problems with Nemesis, but been doing a little bit of advanced research on that um, and that sort of echoes the production troubles of this film in a way um, in that Shatner didn't get to do what allegedly didn't get to do what he wanted to do because of studio interference but um, I don't know we're like just wait until we get to the end I think we're over the worst of it, quite frankly. <laughs> We've done it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can move on and enjoy ourselves. This is definitely the lull. This is probably the podcast most skipped <laughs> of all of them, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there's some good stuff coming up, especially when you compare the next film. With even though they're older, how much younger they they feel like in the next film compared to this. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Undiscovered Country, I think, is well. It doesn't. It doesn't get a bad rap actually. It got pretty good reviews. It's one of my favourites. I yeah. think of the series. I really like Undiscovered Country. I really enjoy it. And I think, yeah, it's that. Like, I didn't. Yeah, like this. This feels like. I don't. I don't know what this feels like. To be honest, it's, it's just a very bizarre mess of a film. To be fair, but um, I just. I just don't understand what. They, I kind of understand what they were trying to do. It just. It just didn't work. So yeah, on onwards and upwards for the for the rest of the series. Um, I think definitely after this point, but this is a follow up to to um the voyage home is just very very it's just bizarre just a bizarre bizarre misfire of a film i think that just i don't know it, i'd never <laughs> i'd be honest i said yeah. at the beginning i didn't hate it as much as i thought as much as i remember hating it i probably didn't i, I don't but it's, it's just it's got nothing, nothing is it it's just nothing yeah, it's just yeah nothing exactly it's like <laughs> i can't believe i'm gonna say this but i'm gonna say it publicly at least discovery has the fact that it can make me angry like I hate it with yes. all of my passion. There's, no, there's very little I like about that film, but at least it's an emotional response. <laughs> this is nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it just kind of. I was like, oh, it's finished. <laughs> uh, right, um, and talking of finishing, before we get, before we just drown everyone in waves of negativity about Star Trek Five. Uh, we'll bring it to the end. Uh, we hope we've made this podcast enjoyable for you at home, despite us not loving the film. But, you know, we we committed to doing the series, and it is part of the series. So, um, yeah, on the next InFocus show, we'll be back with a more certainly a more positive spin on events with Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Uh, in the meantime, obviously, if you've enjoyed this, then please give it a like, give it a share. Um, you can find us on at Strangers Cinema on Twitter and Strangers in a Cinema on Facebook and Instagram. So, um, yeah, if you've got any comments, if you disagree with us, if it is your favourite Star Trek film, which it probably isn't anyone's, um, then please do let us know. Um, and, yeah, let you know, let us know if you disagree. We're always happy to have a discussion on these things. I don't think anyone will disagree. Uh, but anyway, that's 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 it from me this week. So thanks for listening. Uh, Zig, thanks as ever for co-hosting with me. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully you'll be back next time. See you guys later.